0: Good morning. morning. Buenos dias, everyone. I'm so glad to see you. My name is Samuel Macias, and I'm one of your pastors, and I welcome you. And also, I welcome all those who are watching us through the app or through uh, YouTube or every single app that we are able to be. So thank you. Thank you, guys, from Cisco for being here with us. Welcome, everyone. So I'm so pleased to have you in. By the way, just a a friendly reminder, uh, if you're having kind of trouble uh, on the webpage to buy the Easter lilies for Easter, also, you can come to the office during the week and contact Rhonda or Donna and so they can help you out on buying the Easter lilies for Easter. So that's a, a, a friendly reminder. So welcome. And by the way, if you can help us by register your attendance here on the attendance pass that are, are next to you on the uh, beginning of the pews, just help us to uh, fill your name and your family and everyone so we can know that you are here with us. So thank you. Thank you, thank you uh, for for that. Uh, Please, uh, if you are able to stand, join me in this call to worship, (coughs) people of God. Why are you here? We gather to do the work of worship. People of God, what happens when we gather to worship? We listen Listen and and proclaim. We sing and pray, we and repent and encourage. People of God, how do, how do we do the work of worship?
1: We bring, we bring. all that we are to the present to God and one
0: another. People of God, what work does God do in worship?
1: God raises us up so that we can delight in life together with God
0: and one another. People of God, come, let us go, let us worship God together. Come, let us worship God together. Amen. And let's have a moment to pass the peace. You can say hi, you can say hola, you can uh, fist bump, you can greet, if you have the confidence to, to hug someone, and you can say also peace be with you.
2: This song is called uh, Follow You, but the first part of it is an old hymn that we're going to sing together this morning. It goes like this. Here we go. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided. Sing that again. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Go on. Lay your troubles down. Set your feet on solid ground. Peace deep as I have. I wanna follow you. Come on, all you weak and weary. Come round now if you can't hear me. Poor, sick, and God feared it. I wanna follow you. I said, I wanna follow you. Leave all your troubles. All your sorrow, sit down. Your burden, come on, father. Come on, happy lady. Don't wait for the Come on, my brother. Come on, father. Go on, leave your worries. Not a bit of good they do. There's a word that's coming through. Go on. your name in the middle of it. I want to know can you hear my Leave all of your sorrow Sit down your burden Come on and follow Come on, and lady Don't wait for tomorrow Come on, my brother Come on and follow Sisters and brothers Come on and follow Leave all your trust
1: Amen, amen. Please be seated, everyone. I am so thankful uh, to get to preside over the sacraments as part of the life of the church, not only the weekly sacrament of Holy Communion, but the once-in-a-lifetime sacrament of Holy Baptism, and it's so funny. I had a couple conversations over the course of this week with people who came from outside the United Methodist tradition and uh, we never understood why children were baptized in our tradition or babies were baptized. And then I had another conversation over on Saturday with someone who asked that. And even to the point where someone walked up to me at the playground and asked, why is it that United Methodists baptize children? Which is a, un- I don't know if you guys have the same thing happen. Does that... Do you just draw those kind of questions like I do? So just a reminder, we baptize everyone as a work of God's provenient grace, of God, action of God's love and acceptance in the heart and lives, spirits, souls of all people. It's God's work that does this baptism. And God says specifically, Christ says, bring people of all ages to me and do not hinder them for to such as these belong the kingdom of God. And so I celebrate and rejoice in that grace of God active in the baptism of all people. And it's in that spirit of joy and enthusiasm I would like to invite the Grandy family forward for the baptism of their children. If y'all will stand here and face the camera in the rear of the room, brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All of this is God's gift offered to us without price. I present Eleanor Louise, Matthew Kiefer, and Bennett Ryan Grandy for baptism this morning. So now... Uh, to the parents, I ask you, on behalf of the whole church, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sins? If so, say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, all nations, and all races? If so, say, I do. do. And will you nurture Eleanor and Matthew and Bennett in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? If so, say, I will. All right, amen. So now, Eleanor, if you want your six, which is basically like 25. So if you'd like, if you would put your knees right here on this cushion and your hands right here, perfect. Eleanor Louise, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and pray God's richest blessings upon you now and every day of your life. Amen. Now, will you all come touch her with your, one of your hands? You too, Matthew. Eleanor, the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water and the Spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Matthew, do you want to kneel down too, or do you want to stand up? What are you feeling? You want to stand up? Yes, sir. Will you come stand right over here? Not on the knee. You can't do both. That's too cool. Come right over here by me. Yeah. Matthew Kiefer, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I pray God's richest blessings upon you now and every day of your life. Amen. Will you all lay a hand on Matthew with me too? Matthew, the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water and the Spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. And Bennett, can I hold you up so everyone can see you? Yes, sir. Bennett Ryan. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and pray God's richest blessings upon you now and every day of your life. Amen. All right, you guys know the drill now. Then at the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, I I kept commenting on it last year and it continues into this year. God continues to be doing an amazing thing through the life of our church, connecting parents and their children to a place where they know that they will be taught what it is to not only love God, but to understand that they are loved by God, how to live in that love, how to share that love, how to let that love transform them, shape them, support them, and help them to be the people that God would have them be in the world. And that doesn't happen on its own. That doesn't happen just through Mr. Mark or the staff of the church. It happens because of you. The other adults, the friends, the parents, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the neighbors, the people who say, I'll be a part of it. I'll show up. I'll teach. I'll teach this little light of mine. I will help at vacation Bible school. I will be there at the middle school lock-in, you promised, (laughs) to help make sure that these beloved children of God know what it is to be loved by God. So if you rejoice in this family, joining and becoming a part of the congregation, and if you pledge to do your part in helping to make sure that these children others like them know that they are loved by God, would you indicate so with a round of applause? Congratulations. Thank you so much.
3: What a wonderful time during our worship service now to spend a few minutes praying together after celebrating this beautiful baptism together. And that is what we're about to do. We will have prayers of the people where I will lead us in prayer, and during it several times, I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and I will invite you to respond with hear our prayers, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. I also wrote down here names of a few people that are on my heart today. People that I'm praying for during the week as I've been thinking about them. And I'm sure somebody in your life as well is in the same way. You just have them on your heart for one reason or another. You pray for them, you remember them. There will be a time towards the end of the prayer when I will invite you to say their name if you're comfortable out loud and just spend a few moments together as the body of Christ praying for each other. Will you please join me? Loving and gracious God, forgive us for all of the times when we fail to recognize the vast generosity that you extend to us in so many ways. Forgive us when we trap ourselves in our small-mindedness, when we miss so much of your grace. Forgive us when we fail to recognize that your kingdom is so different in so many ways from the world where we live right now, and that your grace is of such a higher value than any net worth we can imagine. Sometimes we forget the worth that we all have, all of your children in your eyes. You have called all of us to share this good news, to encourage each other in the spirit and to carry each other's burdens. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Father God, the creator of all, your creation testifies about your power, your grace, your love, new baptisms, new lives, new hopes, new opportunities for all of this, God, we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Everything that you create, you make free. And over and over again, our freedom is used for the purposes of sin, for alienation from you, for violence, for hatred, for greed. And yet, when we were at our worst, you never abandoned us. You came alongside us as Jesus Christ to restore us to relationship with you forever. And for this, God, we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. Always and everywhere, Holy Spirit, we are never alone. You walk alongside us. You cover us with your grace and with your peace. And for this constant presence of God in our lives, we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Today, I am lifting up and praying for the family of Gary Jones, for his life and his legacy. We are lifting up bliss, land, Julie, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Are there any others? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We pray for all who are facing such a hard time that they struggle to see your light, that they question if you see them, hear them. If you are there with them, let them feel your grace, shower them at this moment as you are there with them. Let all of us, God, draw closer to you by your Holy Spirit where we find strength and guidance and clarity and support and all of these gracious, bountiful gifts that you give us freely. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I will now invite our ushers to come forward to receive our offering. First Sunday of the month is always special in our church because during the offering, if you put a $1 bill into the offering plate here in the sanctuary, they all go to our First Street Mission. And this month, all of those collected $1 bills from the offering plates will go to support people who struggle to pay rent. We have a system established to identify families and help them in very difficult times with something as so profound as just paying their rent and making sure that they have a place to be. So. If you have a $1 bill and you would like to also put it in the offering plate, you know where it's going this month. Will you please pray with me for our offerings? Gracious and loving God, may we, as we bring our gifts to you today, recognize the true worth in what we bring, that our gifts would value the God who is worthy of our praise and worship, that they would symbolize our own commitment and the value that we place on that commitment to your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: us with grace and favor. We abide, we abide in you. We abide, we abide in you. Where can my soul
4: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition, and invite you to read along in your own Bible or one of the Pew Bibles in front of you. The scripture is on page 49 in the New Testament of the Pew Bible. Hear these words. Then they sent to Jesus some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And they brought one. Then he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? They answered, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. God speaks to us through the reading of scripture. Thanks be to God.
0: You remember the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not?
3: It was difficult. There had been riots in Jerusalem. The Jewish people objected to the taxes they had to pay to Rome. If Jesus said it was lawful to pay taxes, a lot of Jewish people would say
0: he was wrong. And if Jesus said that it was unlawful for the Romans to impose taxes,
3: on the Jewish people the
1: religious or on any of the online forums in which you're joining us for worship online, you can also submit a prayer request and these were the prayer requests that were submitted last week. I just want to let you know that Pastor Samuel and others have been very faithful in making sure that these are lifted up in prayer constantly throughout the week, and as I lay them at the foot of the cross, I just want to remind you that if there's ever, ever, ever anything going on in your life that would benefit from shared prayer and connection with the community of faith, please make sure. share with us. My name is Lance Marshall. the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. And before I get into today's message, I just want to share something that's been on my mind and in my prayers a lot over the course of the last week. Uh, We are at a time of the year in which the United Methodist Board of Ordained Ministry interviews candidates that are going through the ordination process. And if you don't know, in order to be ordained in the United Methodist Church, it's a very strenuous process. It involves feeling a call to ministry, and then being vetted over the course of multiple years by your local church and then the kind of a regional church and then a larger regional church. You need an undergraduate degree. You need a master's degree in divinity, which is a degree that requires more hours of study than uh, medical degrees do. Uh, You then have to submit a great amount of paperwork and be reviewed and examined to not only make sure that you are fit for ministry, but you're also fruitful in ministry. You have to run a sub-five-minute mile. You have to be able to bench 300 pounds... And you have to be able to dunk on a regulation rim. And so it's a very strenuous process. But it's one of the things about which I really appreciate in our system. It is a very significant undertaking to become ordained and I hope that gives you confidence in the quality of the people who serve you uh, as your pastors. And I'm thankful that not only myself, but Pastor Virginia and Pastor Brenda, as representatives from our church, are all part of a much larger group, the Board of Ordained Ministry, that interviews candidates, helps, supports them, and, and ultimately helps them work to determining is this the right path for them, and if so, how to be fruitful. And I just want to share with you, as I prepare to leave this afternoon and it's been the next few days at Glen Lake Camp, interviewing candidates, that I am so excited to see what God is doing in the lives of people calling them to ministry in the United Methodist Church. Not only are incredibly qualified candidates coming for ministry, not only are they excelling in their education and in their places of ministry, but the stories that they're able to share of what God is doing in their life are so encouraging and exciting. I just I'm just incredibly thankful. I'm thankful for them, for their stories, for our denomination, for the ways in which we're in ministry in the world. So that's been a big part of my prayer life over the last few weeks. And I just wanted to share it with you because it's, it's so encouraging. And I would like to now transition from that topic into publicly processing some of my middle school trauma. Does that seem like a nice, smooth transition today? That's what I would like to do. So in reading this scripture reading, we're going to do a lot of digging into it. I kept remembering a situation that happened in seventh grade for me, and I'd like to kind of process that out loud with you. By the way, if any of you guys were popular in middle school or middle school was easy for you, you can just go ahead and check your phone for a while. Um, This is going to be for my real ones out there for whom middle school was much more about surviving than thriving. That was me you know, it, it wasn't this way in high school, but for some reason, the middle school I went to very quickly stratified into popular, not popular, into, you know, being the bullies or being bullied, and I was definitely on the uh, on the lower social stratus. Yeah, very quickly, I realized that's the, the card that life had dealt me, and so my middle school years socially were very much about just trying to get through, trying to not be picked on, trying to not be singled out. I am just trying to hide, right, I'm trying to get through this. And so I remember uh, one of the things I learned pretty quickly that could help you hide was not sticking out when it came to your clothes, there were a couple clothes that were cool for seventh grade boys in 1996. And so I did everything I could to have those clothes. There were three clothes items that were cool. The first was Jinko jeans, which we can all agree is a timeless style that will never go out of fashion. And we are excited to share those photos with our children today. Uh, Kids, ask your parents to see the photos. If you have a millennial parent, ask to see the jinkos. Also ask to see the photos of the starter jacket pullover. That was a big player, Uh, particularly North Carolina for some reason, but that was a huge deal. And the last one was anything Nike. That was just really hot in uh, 1996. For those of you who are uh, born in the 2000s, there was no Under Armour yet, and it was, Nike was running away with Adidas or Puma or stuff like that. Like Nike stuff was the cool stuff, right? And so the course of the summer was just leveraging every bit of relationship you had with your parents to try to get some of these cool item clothes that you could just try to fit in over the course of the school year. And I'll never forget that something happened in that first week of school where we're all wearing kind of our our new clothes still. You know, you're making your first run through those new clothes. And I'll never remember this other kid that was in my grade who occupied the same social strata as me. Does that make sense? We were kind of both surviving on the same level, right? We're just trying to get through it. And I remember it was even just gym class. He had just changed into gym clothes. These weren't even his regular clothes that he wore to all of school. They were just his gym clothes. And he wore them out to the practice field where we were getting ready. And I saw his shirt, and I immediately went, oh, no. Because I realized his shirt was not going to fit in. He was wearing a perfectly normal black T-shirt with a little white Nike swoosh on it. Except my seventh-grade expert X-ray eyes that had been trained to identify real versus not real could immediately locate that swoosh and all of its dynamics over the 10,000 examples of the Nike swoosh that I had previously seen and realized that's not a legit Nike swoosh. (laughs) And then if you got even closer, I realized it's not even screen printed. It's embroidered. Someone else was in middle school in 1996. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And as a a person who was barely hanging on, I wanted to be like, go change, go change. It's better just to be shirtless for the next hour (laughs) than to be in this situation. And what happened is one of the popular hyenas came and saw that shirt. And that's not a real shirt. That's a fake shirt, and then the ribbing and all that stuff starts, and then it comes out, where'd you even get a shirt like that? My grandma made it for me, right? Grandma heard that. He likes these shirts, hand-sews him a shirt that he would like. How do you think the other seventh-grade boys handled that? I actually want to let that be something we sit with as we transition into today's scripture reading. So, we're in the season of Lent right now, which liturgically is the season that's leading up not only to Easter, but before Easter, it's leading up to the arrest and the torture, the humiliation, the crucifixion, and the death of Jesus. If you're reading... Uh, Following along in your physical Bible, and one of the reasons why I'm, we say if you'd like to follow along in your Bible or if you'd like to read along in front of you, I know it's on the screens. It's not a secret to me. But the reason I'm always inviting you to have a physical copy of the text in your hands is one not only to build your muscle strength in doing that, but also so that you can see the stories that are related to each other. And one of the things that you'll notice when you see today's scripture reading is it follows a few other stories. It follows the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem in the first place, what we'll celebrate on Palm Sunday. But what you'll also see when you read this text is that Jesus has been up to some things between when he arrived in. Jerusalem and this moment right now. The first thing that he did is he went to the temple, the center of worship and celebration and piety and connection to God in the Jewish community. And its most important practice was ritual sacrifice, where approved priests would make sacrifices that the people had provided in order for them to receive atonement for their sins. But in order to do so, they had to exchange financially, make purchases. They had to purchase the approved things that came from the right background and do so with the right money. And all of this created opportunities for abuse and exploitation by people who were inserting themselves between people who were were just trying to worship and make sacrifices and the products and services they needed to make that happen. So the temple courtyard itself wasn't a place of holiness and reverence. It was a place of trading and exploitation and unfair exchange rates and even thievery. And Jesus would have none of it. So he went in there and politely, you could say, cleansed the temple. And impolitely, you can say, chased everybody out with a whip. Which just goes to say, When someone asks you, what would Jesus do, chasing a bunch of people with a whip is one of the options. (laughs) It technically is a biblical option. Jesus did that. He also goes and curses a fig tree, so angry at it for its lack of producing fruit that he curses it to die. Now, you may not realize, but his immediate audience would, is that the fig tree is the historic symbol associated with temple leadership, right? The fig tree is the symbol that... that is used to uh, recognize the temple and the Sadducees and the people who oversee all of that process, right? And he, because it is unfruitful, he has cursed it to die. A pretty—that's not even passive aggressive. That's aggressive aggressive. And before this text, he's just told a story about unfaithful tenants and how a landowner was trying to get what was rightfully his and they keep killing the people who are sent on his behalf, even to the point of killing his only son, obviously alluding to their unfaithfulness and leadership, even forecasting his eventual crucifixion and death. Jesus has raised the temperature. It is tense now in all of these interactions. Reading this text is stepping into the middle of somebody having incredibly heated conversations with people who hate him. He's made some uneasy bedfellows among enemies. The fact that this story says that there's Pharisees and Herodians who are coming to him together shows how much he's upset people, right? It kind of reminded me when UT got its own TV station and all of a sudden, like, A&M in Oklahoma are both mad. 11 o'clock going to love that joke, guys. <laughs> he has made some uneasy bedfellows out of the people who are mad at him. The Pharisees hate the people who have aligned themselves with Philip Herod. The people who have aligned themselves with the Roman-installed Philip Herod hate the, ph- the Pharisees for their piousness and their rejection of their authority, but together they both hate Jesus more. So they've come after him with an agenda, and their purpose is to peel away his support. In the text that comes after this, they're going to try to suck him into a theological controversy that is boiling during their time. They're going to ask him a question that has divided the faithful community into liberal and conservative and they're going to try to trick him into identifying himself as one or the other so that the other half can immediately stop listening to what he has to say. Thank God stuff like that doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) But first they want to catch him in a political situation. That's why they ask him this question, can we pay taxes to Caesar, And of course, you guys have heard this said over and over and over again, but let me remind you, their taxes are not like our taxes. They're not conformed by representative government, elected by the people. Those revenues are not used to support their public works and their schools and their defense. No, these are exploitative practices from a foreign occupying power. And their question is, do we pay these taxes or not? Because they know when they ask him that yes or no question that he's going to get himself into trouble. Because if he says, look, just go ahead and pay those taxes, he's going to infuriate The thousands of people who have come to see him as the Messiah, who have come to hear in him the new thing that is God, that God is doing, who are being encouraged by him, who are being transformed by him. If he says, yes, go ahead and comply financially with these people who are exploiting us to the point of death, that Jesus is going to lose all of that. They're trying to put him into a corner, make those crowds of people who love him disappear because he would say something so cruel to them. But if he says, don't, if he stands up and says, never, if he says, don't comply, don't participate, never bend the knee, well, that's insurrection. That's rebellion. And Rome has a plan for people like that, and they don't make it long. They're trying to trick Jesus into saying something that either makes him lose his popular support for the people that have come to see him as their true leader or gets him killed. So Jesus answers. And when Jesus answers, he does so in a way that is so much more than yes or no. He does so in a way that's revealing not only of intentions, but of hearts and hypocrisy and practices. And I'm sorry, y'all, like, this is about to get a little nerdy, but I want to get into it, all right? So when he talks about actually paying the taxes, one of the things that Jesus does first is say, show me that money that you're talking about. Show me that money that Caesar wants so badly. I actually found a picture of it and emailed it to our tech team, uh, so this is, these are both sides of the same coin. Um, one side is heads, the other side is tails. I'll let you figure it out. This is the physical item that would have been in the pocket of the person when Jesus says, well, let me see the coin. On the left side is the bust of Caesar Tiberius. He's the current emperor leading all of Rome. The text that goes around it is in Latin and it's in shorthand, but what it says is Tiberius Caesar, son of Augustus. And what that means in popular popular parnance is uh, Caesar Augustus, son of God. Ruler of the world, son of God. That's what it says across him on the left. And on the right, it has a picture of temple worship, but it identifies Caesar Tiberius as a high priest. That's what's actually on their hands. Now, I'm going to invite you to keep that up on the screen. And there's two things that are happening in this text that we may not realize if we're reading it, sitting in Texas in the year 2023. And one of those is the idea that in their pre-modern society, very, or the vast majority of people owned nothing and the vast majority of what did exist in public was owned by a very few exploitative wealthy, and they don't have a capitalist system, they don't have a build yourself up by your bootstraps system, they don't have a system that allows for your ethical accumulation of goods, et cetera. It's an exploitative system in which a very few profit on the backs of the vast majority for the purposes of their extravagant lifestyle and wealth, and the way that they marked their ownership of the everything that existed was by putting their face on it. In a preliterate society, the vast majority of people aren't able to read and understand things like that. So how do I communicate that this is my building, these are my people, this is my wealth, this is my stuff? My face is on it. My stamp is on it. My image is on it. That's how their society recognizes ownership, control, and fealty. That's one thing that's easy to miss if you're not familiar with the practices of the ancient Near East. And another thing that's easy to miss is whom Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to not just other people who share the Jewish religion, he's speaking to leaders. He's speaking to people who are in authority, and he's speaking to people whose authority has made them comfortable in life and in society. He's speaking to people who understand themselves as the interpreters and the practitioners of the right way to do things. And he's speaking to people who, for the most part, would have memorized the vast majority of what we now call Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. That's what the majority of their childhood education would have been, learning to memorize Torah. And one of the things that every single person who heard Jesus speak that day would have remembered, would have known by heart since they were a child, was Genesis 1:26. And let us make people in the image of God and put our likeness. In them. An early reference to the Trinity, that's why it's us in our language. Let our image, let the image of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be stamped on my people. Every single person that Jesus is speaking to would have understand that the idea of the stamping of the image indicates ownership and every single person would have understand that the people are stamped with the image of God. Show me one of them coins, Jesus said, if he was from Tyler. I'm going to leave that in. I'm going to leave that in for the next one. Show me one of them coins. It's worth pointing out that one of these coins has been produced by one of these priests, or scribes, or Pharisees, or Herodians. If they're so holy... Carrying one of these in their pockets would have been considered blasphemy or idolatry or unfaithful, but when push comes to shove, that money's sure in their pocket, ain't it? Show me one of them coins, Jesus says, and he looks at it, and he sees whose face is on it. Caesar's the one that's stamping these coins. Caesar's the one who's making them and shipping them out all over the empire, as a sign of his wealth, as a sign of his privilege, as a sign of his authority, as a sign of his power. Caesar's making these. God has made you. God has made us. God has put God's image on God's people. That is who owns us. That is who supports us. That is who protects us us. That is who provides for us. That is the one to whom we belong. That is the one whose image we bear. So give to God everything that is God's. Your heart, your spirit, your soul, your energy, your resources, your time, your hopes, your dreams, your trust. It's God's. Give it to God. Little pieces when he makes and puts his face on, he can have him back, and they're amazed. This text is so interesting historically, and one of the things that I was struggling with so much is, it's okay, if I talk to the congregation and I teach them the background, and I help them understand the imagery and the context and the subtext of everything that's happening here, how do I help you take this into your life? Because we don't live under the thumb of a Caesar. We haven't been invaded by a foreign power. We're not being taxed to death by a foreign entity for the purposes of humiliating us and supporting their army. I mean, that's the literal context of this time and place. How do we take that in our time and place and live into it? So I do what any good biblical scholar does. I asked my wife, And we were just talking about the message and my research on it and my thinking about it over the course of this week. We we have an L-shaped couch, so we're able to kind of both sit on it and and look at each other. And so I was looking at her and she goes, I remember the first time I heard you teach on this text. It was seven or eight years ago. It's when we were still doing our evening service here on Sunday nights. She said, I'll never forget it. That's one of my favorite sermons you've ever preached. And I said, what did I say? And she said, I can't remember. And I'm thinking, I really got to start writing these things down. (laughs) She says, I can't remember what you said, but I took something from it, she said. And she says, and whenever I'm on my phone and I'm scrolling through Instagram and I start to get FOMO, fear of missing out, whenever I start to have the keeping up with the Joneses disease, on things like fancy vacations or kitchen remodels, right? Whenever I'm feeling less than, whenever I'm feeling like I'm not good enough, whenever I feel like if I could just buy that thing or own that thing or reform that thing or change that thing, whenever I start to feel like if I just earned or achieved or bought or purchased and then I would be happier, then things would be better, et cetera, et cetera, whenever I feel like I'm chasing down the rat race, she says, I say, give to Caesar what is Caesar give to God what is God's. She says, that's what I took from it. So whatever I said, I think that's a good takeaway. I think about my own life and what this text means to me. The image of God is stamped on me. And I think of this text as saying, first, give to God's what is God's. And I think do well, I give to God my life and do I give to God my prayers and do I give to God my resources and do I give to God my energy do I give to God my hopes and dreams do I give to God all that I have all that I am all that I will be do I let it go to the one to whom it's really deserved and when I do there's not much left and whatever there is I'm not too worried about it you know I've been thinking about those candidates right? Those ones who have said, my career path, my future employment, my hopes and dreams. I'm answering this call. God, I'm giving it all to you. One of the things that I like to do a couple of times a year is is ask you, are you being called? Are you being called to serve in that way? Are you being called to serve in a different way? Is is God reaching out to you in your spirit and in your heart and saying, my image is on you. My likeness is on you. My stamp is on you. And this is what I have for you now. You know, I think about that situation that happened with that kid back in seventh grade. And he got all this pushback, we'll say. Because what it was to belong in that place and what it was to fit in in that place was to bear the image, to walk around with the literal stamp of commercialism and popularity and privilege and prestige. That's what it was to fit in. And the world pushed back on him because he was bearing a different image in that shirt. And I wish that 40 year old me with this knowledge and this experience and this framework and this understanding could go back in time to that field in 1996 and could say to that young man, you don't understand this today. But that image that's on your chest is more beautiful and powerful and eternal and good than any corporate logo could ever, ever, ever be. You bear that image, and you live into it, and you will be richer than you could ever imagine in the things that really matter. So where does this go in your life today? Who is your Caesar? What is your Caesar? What's something that's demanding of you, your resources, your time, your attention, your tribute, your allegiance, and it gives you nothing in return? And what is it that's God's, that unintentionally and despite your best efforts, you have denied God and are spending it elsewhere, giving it elsewhere, and how can you give it back to the one who really deserves it, and what will change for you when you do? Let's pray. Great and loving God, great are you and greatly to be praised. Glory we praise you that despite whatever Caesars exist in our life, it's your image, it's your likeness, it's your stamp that's on each and every one of us. Lord, help us live into that. Help us give to you what is yours. Help us give you our first, help us give you our best, help us give you our deepest, and whatever is left over, the world can have. Guide us, shape us, help us to walk in the footsteps of your son Jesus, and it's in his name that together we pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, our Father, As I invite forward, those who will be assisting with the serving of communion today, I do so with a reminder that it is open for all people, every age, every background. This is for you. Because when Christ Jesus was having dinner with his followers, was looking into each and every one of their eyes, he knew that they would need a chance to connect with his life, with his truth, with his love. So he took an ordinary bro- uh, loaf of bread, gave thanks over it, broke it and passed it and said, take all of you and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal was over, he took a cup of ordinary table wine, gave thanks over it, blessed it and passed it, and said, Take all of you and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do so as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so as we come forward uh, from the main floor, our ushers ushers will release us, beginning in the rear of the room. You'll come forward to one of the first stations with your hands held open like this. A piece of bread will be placed in your hand. We have gluten-free if you need it. At the next station, we have non-alcoholic grape juice. You'll eat the bread, drink the juice, and head back down up the outside aisles to return to your seat. Up in the balcony, we have a station for you on the east side, but you're also welcome to come down to the front. This is not the gatherings table. This is not the first United Methodist table. Like Christ's love, like Christ's grace, like Christ's transforming power, it is for everybody here today. Every age, every background, every understanding, this meal is for you. The table is set, the meal is ready. Come forward, be fed.
2: to breathe into the deep.
1: As we come to the end of our time of worship together today, I want to remind you that we have the on-ramp over here at the east side of the sanctuary up at the front where volunteers We'd love to get to know you if you're looking for questions about becoming a part of the church or what this church is like, if you're looking for a place of deeper connection or just really want to know anything, they're the people who would love to help you out today. If you're a first-time visitor or guest, we also have a gift for you at that station as well as any kids that might be with you today. Also, again, we take praying with you so seriously. Uh, Andrea over at the Congregational Care Ministry sign is available right now. If there's anything going on in your life, or in the life of someone you love that would benefit from being shared in prayer, please come up and don't leave without letting Andrea just have a chance to pray with you and alongside you during this time. Also want to say a reminder to all the guys, our monthly men's breakfast is the first Wednesday of every month. That's this Wednesday morning coming up from seven to eight o'clock at Martin House Brewery. I've got the coffee, I've got the tacos. Would love to see you there. Pay attention to your emails for a reminder and more information. Now, please bow your heads and receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face raise and shine upon you. And as you go from this place, may you give to God what is God's, your heart, your life, your love, your spirit, your soul, your goodness, and may the rest of the world have whatever is left over. Amen. Go in peace.